0: Bible, turn to Romans chapter 4 this morning if you would. If you need a copy of the notes, we have ushers coming your way right now with copies of the notes and also pens. If you need to grab one of those from our ushers, do it right now. The notes will uh, have on them but basically everything we're going to cover here today, along with all the scripture references we're going to mention in the message. And so if you want to grab that and do that, that would be awesome. If you have your mobile device with you, you can download the Hui Cala app. The Hui Calla app will let you. <coughs> Goodness, sorry about that. Uh, we'll let you take notes on the Who we Call it app. Also, if you're missing any of the messages so far in this series, you can get caught up uh, through the, the app and listen to it that way or subscribe to our podcast. If you're new to our study on Romans here, you've got a little bit of catching up to do because this is message number 40, uh, 49 in our series. And so you've got a little bit to, to catch up, but that's okay. You can do it. I have great faith in you. Uh, but we are blazing through the book of Romans verse by verse because... Next week, we will finish chapter 4 and begin chapter 5. Next week, we'll finish it, and we'll begin chapter 5 the following week. So that puts us officially 25% through the book of Romans, right? Nobody's impressed. Okay. Um, Thank you. There were three people that were impressed. Uh, So God bless all three of you. Um, And so anyways, uh, we're just going through verse by verse through the book of uh, Romans uh, 2. See what God has to tell us. It's one of the most doctrinally rich, rich books in all of the Bible. There's so much meat here that we could really spend a, a lot of time here, which we have. Uh, and so we find ourselves today smack dab in the middle of Romans chapter 4. Just to give you a little bit of an update or a reminder of where we are here, Paul is really writing to the Jewish believers that are part of the church at Rome. And so this church at Rome, Paul's never actually visited it before, but it's made up of Jews who used to follow the Old Testament law. And it's also made up of Gentiles who never were part of the Old Testament law who now have found faith in Jesus Christ. And so they're smashed together in one big church, and so Paul's taking time to address each group. And really, chapters 3 and 4, he's talking to the Jews there, 4 especially, because he's talking to them about Abraham. Abraham was kind of like the top dog of their faith. Uh, Like if anybody was the guy, Abraham was like the guy, and so the Jews had thought that Abraham was actually uh, forgiven by God for all of his sins, and Abraham went to heaven because Abraham kept all of God's rules. Uh, Abraham kept the ceremonial laws and the rituals that, that the Jews had, uh, especially the uh, uh, the ritual circumcision. And so uh, a lot of people were saying, well, Abraham went to heaven and was declared righteous by God, and God forgave Abraham's sin." Because he got circumcised. Well, the problem with that is is there's no religious activity that you and I can do to to earn our way to heaven. And so Paul puts that to rest and basically uh, kind of in around uh, verse number 11. I'm going to kind of give you just a little bit of a context before we jump in. Verse number 11, he tells them that like, hey, Abraham was actually declared righteous before he was ever circumcised. So it wasn't the circumcision that actually saved him. It was his faith that saved him. And so uh, we'll start in verse number 11. Um, Let's see, verse number 16, let's just say. Uh, We'll start there, and we'll read through verse number 21 this morning. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that which is also of faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So, Verse sixteen says, "If you and I are going to be saved by God, if you and I are going to be saved from our sin, if you and I are going to go to heaven when we die," verse sixteen tells us it's because of our faith, not because of anything that we have done or any religious uh, works that we've accomplished. Verse uh, seventeen, as it is written, "I've made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth or makes alive the dead and calleth those things which be not as they they were." Not as though they were. Verse 18 through 21 is really where we're going to spend the bulk of our time here today. Who against hope believed in hope that he might be the father of many nations. According to that which he was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. But was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform I grew up in a small town in western Kentucky, and basically it's, it's basketball country there. Everything revolves around basketball. Football season is always the warm-up for basketball season. Uh, nobody really in, in the state where I come from really pays a whole lot of attention to anything other than basketball. And so when it comes to, to basketball, it doesn't matter if it's a pickup game, if it's a junior high game, if it's a high school game, it's an important game always everywhere you go. Uh, I went to high school basketball games that were larger than many NCAA college basketball games. I mean, just like huge there, and so uh, I, I love basketball, and I love watching a good basketball game, and when you get really involved in a basketball game, you get down, down, down to the end, especially if it's a really close score or kind of a nail-biter, and your team's behind, you begin to start doing a little bit of math in your head, like, okay, there's three field goals or three threes, I'll put it as close, or down by six. That automatically makes it a two-possession game, so if we can hit a three, steal the inbound ball, shoot another three, then we can tie it up and go into overtime, but there's like 30 seconds left. And then the other team inbounds the ball and goes down and scores. It's just like, okay, 20 seconds left with eight points. We can still do this, right? We can shoot a three. We get fouled on the three. We hit the free throw. Then we inbound the ball. We shoot another three, get fouled on that, make the free throw. We can score eight, and we can actually make it, right? And then they inbound the ball, and they score. Okay, we're down by 10. There's 20 seconds left. We're down by 10. All we need to do is score two points per second on the clock, and I think we can make this, right? And, like, like you begin to do this crazy math, like, maybe you'll foul them, and and then there's those, there's, like, seven seconds on the clock, they throw it in, and you foul immediately. It's like, you're down by 10, there's seven seconds left, what are you fouling for? Just, like, put the nail on the coffin, let's just go home. But what happens is, is that when times like that happen, you begin to hope against hope. There's not really any hope that you're going to win, but you begin to try to hold out a little bit of hope, right? You begin to think, like, maybe we could possibly squeeze this one out. When it came to Abraham, God promised Abraham that he would give him three things, a land, a seed, and a blessing. God said, I'm going to give you a son, and from this son is going to be a great nation from you. And the Bible says that Abraham, take a look at verse number 18, he hoped against hope. He said, this doesn't make any sense, and it doesn't really appear like it's going to happen, but I'm going to hold out a little bit of hope. Now again, when we talk about hope, it's really important that we, we define terms because, first of all, you need to know the target of your hope, and secondly, you need to know the definition of your hope. Let's, let's start, first of all, with the definition this way. Hope is uh, a confident expectation in God based on his character and the promises of his word. So when we use the term hope, we're not saying like, I hope I have something good for lunch today, uh, or I hope traffic's not bad on the way home, or I hope I didn't get a parking ticket while I was here. Don 't worry they don't give out parking tickets on Sunday, so some of you are just like, oh, no, you're good uh you're good for today and so but if you park during the week it's thirty five dollars I know that happened to you in the case so uh anyways uh so but anyways, uh, I was going somewhere over that um, hope, there you go, thank you um. I got off on a parking ticket, and I remember, like, the last time I got a parking ticket, I don't remember actually paying for it, and so, anyways, um, you have these random thoughts when you're speaking in public, and you lose your train of thought, but hope. Uh, Hope is not a wish. Sometimes we use the word hope and wish synonymously. It's not what it means. Hope is a confident expectation. I know for a fact that this will come to pass. For example, as Christians, we have the hope of heaven. It's not like, I hope I'm going to heaven. It's like, no, no, no. I have a confident expectation that when I take my last breath here on planet Earth, I'm going to be with the Lord forever. Guaranteed. Like, as sure as I'm standing here, I know for a fact I'm going to be in heaven because I have the hope of heaven through Jesus Christ. So that's what we're talking about when we talk about a hope. Like, I know that God's gonna care for me, so I have the hope of my heavenly Father's care. Uh, in other words, I know for a fact, on a shadow of a doubt, this is gonna happen because God has promised it, and that's just who God is. And so when we talk about Abraham having hope, it wasn't like, well, I hope I get a kid, or I I hope God's good to his promise. It's like, oh, no, 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 I know for a fact that God is good to his promise. And so that's the definition of hope. Secondly, the target of your hope, and some of you are furiously scanning your notes. This is just off the top of my head. It's not in your notes anywhere. The target of your hope needs to be Jesus Christ. Because here's the thing, if your confident expectation is in me, I guarantee you I'm going to disappoint you. Just I'm going to get that out of the way ahead of time and save you the trouble. I'm going to let you down at some point. I'm going to disappoint you, not because I want to, but just because I'm a human being. If you put your hope in me, I will fail you, I promise you. If you put your hope in this church, this church will let you down because church is a body made up of sinners. And at some point, we're going to disappoint you and let you down. And if that ever happens, I let you down or our church lets, you, not, let, lets you, let you down, please give me the luxury of apologizing and trying to make that right because that's never the intention ever. But we're fallible. We're, we're, your spouse is going to let you down. Uh, they're going to disappoint you. I remember going through uh, premarital counseling with a couple, a couple of years ago. And we're talking through, and I always set them up for success, and I say, hey, marriage is hard. It's one of the best things you'll ever do with your life, but it's hard. You're going to have good days and bad days. You're going to have good weeks and bad weeks. You're going to have times where you don't feel like being married. You're going to be times where you don't feel loved. There's going to be times where you don't feel appreciated. Uh, there's going to be times where, you know, just hearing like your spouse chew food gets on your last nerve, okay? And, she, and I remember the, the girl was going through. She was like, Mm-mm, not us. And it's just like... That's so cute. God bless you. You know, you don't understand marriage. You know, it's like you're gonna be let down. She's like, mm mm. I was like, call me in like like not even like 90 days. Call me in like, like nine days after you get married. Guaranteed, because you know, again, we have this idea like this person they've given me their heart and they'll never let me down. They will. I promise you. It's just it's just how it is. That's life. Our hope must be in the Lord alone at the end of the day. I I trust my wife with my life. Uh, And I know that any time that she's let me down, she's been greatly grieved by that, and she doesn't want that. But she's a human being. I don't want her to, I want to have my hope in her, and she knows better than to have her hope in me. Our hope together for our marriage, for our family, always in Christ, always. So target of your hope, really important. When we talk about Abraham hoping against hope and having this uh, faith that's unshakable, Abraham believed God even when it didn't make sense to believe God. (laughs) This is what we call faith. If you can explain it, let me just say this. If you can explain it, it is not faith. Faith is like, hey, I don't really understand all this, but I believe it to be so. Faith doesn't always have an easy explanation for things, but we can always have faith in God's Word, and Abraham believed God when it didn't really make a whole lot of sense. God told Abraham, hey, I'm going to give you a kid, and I'm actually going to make from you a great nation and uh, from you, and Abraham's like, well, I don't even have any kids, and my wife can't have kids, so how's this all going to happen? And God just said, trust me, and Abraham said, get this, okay, I trust you. That's, he just trusted God. You and I will have to to trust, not necessarily for eternity yet, but who are you going to trust this week? Who are you going to trust tomorrow? As we live in a society today where uh, it's very difficult to trust what you hear, you, you read things on the internet or you hear things on the news and you have to do some extra legwork to find out, is that really true or not? Like somebody said that, I saw that on the, on TV or somebody posted that on Facebook, I don't even know if that's true or not, Right? So we have to to be skeptical. Some of us who have been burned before, I put myself in that category right there, sometimes have trust issues where, like, I don't want to trust people because people have burned me before. There's people who don't want to come to church services because churches have burned them before. I've been there before, too. So, uh, but again, in times like that, we have to learn to trust again. Here's the thing when it comes to trusting God. Sometimes people don't trust God because they feel like God's let them down. Isn't that interesting? I don't know if you've ever felt like that. Like and you prayed and you didn't get it on here. Like God promised, knock and it shall be open unto you. I did all those things and I didn't get what I wanted. So maybe I can't trust God after all. And in no lie, I've seen people who have trust issues with God. And so we have to come down to, okay, who are you going to trust then? Well, well, I always trust myself. Have you ever let yourself down? I know I have, uh, like, I'm, I'm, I'm probably the last person that I would trust, you know. Again, I think thoughts, and I was just like, hey, let me run this thought that I had past you, because I don't trust myself. But we have to trust someone, not only this week, but what happens when we die? That's the big question. After this life, then what? Who are you going to trust for that? Well, I, I, I trust in myself. I believe that, you know, after this life is over, that's just like, you're turning the lights off. You, you weren't here before, and you're not here after that's a, that's a theological term called annihilation, where basically you just cease to exist, you take your last breath, and you're just dead as a doornail and nothing ever really happens. Um, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says when we die, our soul will live on somewhere else. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, after that the judgment. The moment that you take your last breath, you're standing before a holy God in judgment. That's what the Bible says. And there's two places. If you hear nothing else out of what I say today, please hear this because it's the most important thing you'll ever hear in your lifetime. There are two places when you die. There's heaven and there's hell. You don't get to one or the other based on good behavior versus bad behavior. The default destination for every human being that's ever been born in the history of the world is automatically hell. Because the Bible says if you sin against God, you're going to go to hell. Period. End of story. Well, what kind of sin? Any sin. Doesn't matter. Like, take your pick. If you have sinned one time you're automatically headed to hell. That's what we deserve. Now, again, you might say, well, that's not fair. God set the rules, and God says, here's the rules, don't break them. And you said, ah, I think I want to break them. And you did, and here's the consequences. And so um, if you don't like the rules, then, then, again, take it up with the person who created the rules, and that would be God. And he's going to tell you the same thing he's told everybody else. So you've broken the rules, you're automatically de- destined for hell. The wages of sin, because we sin, what we've earned as a result of that is death in hell when we die. But here's the thing. God loves you. He doesn't want anybody to go to hell. The Bible says God's not willing that any should perish. God does not delight in sending people to hell. God does not get a kick out of sending people to hell. And let me just say here, any Christian who delights in people going to hell, probably is not a real Christian, let me just say that, because it's not the heart of Christ. And so, again, God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. I don't want anybody to go to hell. So here's what God did. God sent his son Jesus to die in your place. I was supposed to die, but Jesus died for me. You were supposed to be punished, but Jesus was punished for you. Uh, God was supposed to pour out his wrath on all of us because we've sinned, and God poured out 100% of his wrath on Jesus so that anyone that would put their faith in Jesus alone to save them can be forgiven of all the sin you've ever done past, present, future, and as a result of being forgiven, automatically go to heaven when you die. The only way that you can go to heaven is having your sin forgiven, and the only way your sin can be forgiven is through Jesus Christ. That's critical. That is the foundation of Christianity. And Paul says this, if anybody says otherwise, tell them to get lost, because that's not the gospel. So again, you don't go to hell for a particular sin, you go to hell for sin, like period. All of us do. But you can be forgiven by putting your faith in Jesus, and here's how that works. You have to believe beyond a shadow of a doubt with every fiber of your being where we call faith. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he's the only way to heaven. I believe that he died as payment for my sins and rose again on the third day. And I'm asking him to save me and forgive me of my sin. If you would really believe that and pray that and confess that to God, the Bible says that you could be born again like in a split second and all of your sin you've ever committed, past, present, future, gone as if it never happened. God's extending that gift to anyone who would put their faith in Jesus. Well, I've got a lot of sin. Good, he's got a lot of grace. Well, I've done a lot of stuff. Good, he can forgive a lot of stuff. Well, I don't think I'm good enough. Great, you don't have to be good enough. You just have to believe. Well, do I have to get baptized? No, we already saw that Abraham getting circumcised didn't help him go to heaven. It was his faith that saved him. And so you need to be saved by faith. And you say, well, I don't really understand it a lot. I don't understand everything that's going on. I, I, I need to know more about it. I get it, but here's the thing, the same thing that happened with Abraham. He didn't fully understand it, but he trusted it, get this, by faith. The only way that you can be saved is by faith. That's it. And so... Abraham believed, Genesis chapter 15, verse number five says, God brought him forth and said, look now towards heaven and tell the stars if they'll be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. Abraham, I'm going to give you a He believed in the Lord and he counted it to him is what saves us. Now, here's the thing about faith. It's tough because we're putting our belief in something that we, we've never seen, that maybe we don't fully understand that maybe we have some questions about, and that's okay if we're willing to have faith. Faith has the opportunity to grow. It has the opportunity to expand. And Abraham struggled with faith, yet he walked in obedience. It's interesting here that Abraham is talked about as this man of stellar faith, whereas Abraham actually had struggles with his faith. Genesis chapter 22 is in your notes here. God asked Abraham to take his son Isaac and sacrifice him, like kill him. And so Abraham said, okay. So here's what happened. Abraham takes his son Isaac up to a mountain, Mount Moriah, and he's going to sacrifice his son to the Lord on the top of the mountain up there. And so what's interesting is that that. As a kid growing up, like all the, the little coloring books that you get and stuff like that in Sunday school and stuff would always show like Abraham, old dude, long white beard, save your jokes. Um, <laughs> and like this, and this little kid, like walking up beside him. The you know, was probably somewhere. And so um, I see we got the wood and we got a knife. Like, where's the lamb? Like, where's the sacrifice? Like, we're going to get to the top of the mountain. And I was like, hey, come back down, get an animal, take it back after the sacrifice. Like, where's the sacrifice? And, and here's what Abraham says. You and I get the luxury of reading the Bible backwards. Uh, but, but Abraham said this, God will provide himself a lamb, is what he said. Now, you can read that as God would provide a lamb for himself. Or you can read it as God would provide himself as the lamb, foreshadowing a time where Christ would be sacrificed for the sins of mankind. Oh, man, powerful stuff there. So we find in Genesis chapter 22, verse number 1, it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. The word tempt means just tested him. And just a little aside here, God never tests you. First of all, he never tempts you to sin. Uh, the book of James tells us that. God, anytime you're ever tempted, it's not from God, guaranteed, uh, to sin. Secondly, when the Bible uses the word tempt, it means to test, like to show where your allegiance lies. Testing is always for your benefit, not for God's. God always knows what you're going to do. He's omniscient. He already knows how you're going to respond to difficult situations. He's trying to show you how you'll respond to difficult situations. So God took Abraham and tested him and said unto him, Abraham, he said, behold, here am I. He said, take now thy son, thy only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. get up into the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I'll tell of thee. Abraham rose up in the morning and saddled his ass or his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood and the burnt offering, and rose up and went to the place which God had told him. So Abraham's there, he's got a knife, he's getting ready to, to take Abraham's life and then burn his body as a sacrifice unto the Lord. And the Lord stops him and says, "Stop, you're good. There's a ram in a thicket over here. Grab that, lamb, uh, grab that ram and sacrifice it instead of your son Isaac." And let Isaac go. So, then cuts Isaac loose and sacrifices a ram under the Lord, and move on. It showed great faith, but again, as you can imagine, probably a pretty difficult situation. Uh, I have a son who's almost thirty; uh, he uh, t- turns uh, twenty-eight this month. Uh, my son Thatcher. So, imagine me and Thatcher go up the the hill, and he's like, "Hey, Dad, you got the sacrifice?" And she's like, "Yeah, we'll we'll get it when we get there, man." And it's like we get up there, and I start tying him up and lay him down. He's just like. I see what you're doing here. And I pull a knife up and say, hey, buddy, I love you. I'll see you on the other side, all right? And then God stops. And then I cut him loose, right? And always in my mind, I'm weird, I know that. We're, like, walking down the mountain. He's like, so, Dad, are we going to talk about, like, what had happened up there? Or, like, were you, like, really going to, like, well, I mean, like, I I, I was trusting God, you know? No, like, you were really going to, like, do that, weren't you? He gets home he's like, Mom, did Dad tell you what happened up there in Mount Moriah? Abraham, are you serious? Hey, babe, God said, you know. Like, imagine the awkward dynamic of that relationship going forward. It's just like, man. So, but but seriously, here's the the crazy thing. Abraham just trusted God. I don't understand this. God says he's going to bring a whole nation from this kid, and I'm supposed to kill him? All right, I'll do it. He trusted God even when it didn't make sense. He, he struggled with his faith, but he was willing to walk in obedience. And sometimes we, we, feel, we feel like terrible Christians because we struggle with our faith. Understand this. The struggle is natural. The struggle is normal. I worry for people that don't struggle with their faith because faith doesn't mean that you have it all figured out. It's that you trust that God has it all figured out. Well, I don't really know how this thing's going to work out. That's okay. I don't have to because God does. Well, if I do this that God asked me to do, then, like, what does that mean for me? I don't know, but I'm just going to do what God asked me to do and just trust him with the rest of it. So many times you and I want to figure out, like, okay, let me figure out where this thing goes, and then I'll figure out whether or not I'm going to obey. Had you found me 20 years ago and told me that I was going to be pastoring a church in Honolulu, I would have been trying to find every way that I could to not wind up where I'm at today, right? Because, like, that's not where I'm trying to go in my life. That's not what I'm trying to do with my life. I never had a desire to be a pastor. Um, you know, I have friends who are like, oh, I was in, you know, seventh grade at youth camp that summer down by the river, and the Lord called me to preach. Not me. You know, I had never had a desire to do this. But here's the great part about it. God asked my wife and I to step out by faith, and we just said, okay. I, I'm like, I don't know where this whole thing leads. I don't know where it's going to wind up. but oh, God, we trust you through this. And God always honors faith. Isaiah 55, verse number 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God's like, you don't think like I do. You don't understand like I do. You don't have the knowledge that I have. You don't have the wisdom that I have. You don't know how I'm going to use this in your life for good. Just trust me. God's calling you to faith. And we set ourselves up for failure when we base our obedience on our expected outcomes. I know there's no one else in the room that's ever done this, so I'll confess my sin before you and talk about how weak of a Christian I am. But I'm sure nobody has ever made a deal with God before, right? God, if you give me this, I promise I'm going to do this, right? God, if you if you just would help us pay our rent this month, I promise I'll never miss a day at church ever again in my entire life. You know, God, if you would help me get through this thing at work, or God, if you would get my boss fired. Like I'll read the Bible like every day until Jesus comes if you'll do that, right? And we begin to make deals with God. Let me just tell you this. God's not going to sign a contract for you. God's not interested in your terms and conditions. God wants faith. Not like, okay, God, I'll do this as long as you do X, Y, and Z. God's like, no, no, no. I just want you to do what I asked you to do. And so many times in talking with single adults that uh, they get frustrated that maybe they're not getting married as quickly as their peers are or things along those lines. They begin to say things like, well, well, you know, if I'm not going to get married, at least I can you know, have sex before marriage and enjoy that. Ah, You, you, bought, you bought into a lie. You, you're making decisions based on an outcome that you did not get that you feel like you deserve or you're entitled to people who say things like, well, you know, I'm, I know I'm not supposed to date a Christian, but no, none of the Christian guys are knocking my door down, so I'll go find an unsaved guy and win him to Christ, and maybe that'll work. No, The Bible says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. You can't get God's blessings by rebelling against God. This doesn't work that way. And so again, we, we say, well, I'll obey if God gives me what I want. Well, well yeah, I'll marry a Christian if God would like, give me one in like the next 90 days, but until then, I'm going to, you know, fire up a Tinder profile and see if I can hook up with somebody. God's like, oh, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. That's not faith. Faith says, I trust you. The Bible says that sex outside of marriage is a sin. It's called fornication. But sometimes we get away with excuses like, well, how do you know if they're the right one? How do we know if we're compatible until we find out that you're compatible because God put you together? How about that? Well, I don't know if the sex will be great when we get married. Well, if you've never had sex, you wouldn't know what great sex is like until you get married, right? Have you ever thought about that? If you just follow God's design, everything will work itself. And I swear if I hear it again, I'm, I'm going to lose my, my ever-loving mind. When, when people say, like, well, I have to look at pornography because my wife doesn't meet my needs. That's a lie of the stinking devil. And if I ever hear that again, I'm going to choke the devil out of you, okay? Because here's the thing. We can't say, well, I'll obey God as long as he gives me what I want, but if if God doesn't give me what I want, then I don't have to obey him. It does not work that way. It just doesn't. God gives you commandments. You can either obey or disobey. Those are your only two choices. And so when you and I begin to make deals with God, we get ourselves into trouble. (laughs) I love these uh, three boys in Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Basically, Nebuchadnezzar had built this huge golden statue, and he made a, a proclamation that whenever they blew the trumpets and played the music, that everyone would bow down to, these, uh, to this golden statue and worship it. These three boys says, uh-uh, we're not doing it. And crazy thought, there were probably a million plus Jews that were in slavery here at this time, and there were three who said that they wouldn't bow down. But you know what they said? We don't care. And so they basically said, hey, if you don't bow down to this golden image, we're going to throw you in a fiery furnace and you're going to die. And so they're brought before Nebuchadnezzar, and here's what they say, Daniel chapter 3, verse number 16, it's in your notes here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said unto the king, O oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we're not careful, in other words, we don't really care what you think about this, to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace... And he'll deliver us out of thy hand, O God. Hey, if God wants to, we'll survive the fiery furnace, and we'll survive you, and we're not scared of you. But here's what they say, I love this. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, we will not serve thy gods, so nor we'll worship the golden image which thou set up. Hey, if we burn, that's fine, I'm still not bowing down. I don't, not about the outcome, like, oh, God will deliver us, I know that he will. Hey, God can, but if he chooses not to, still not bowing down, don't care, you can burn me if you want, I refuse to bow down. Their, their faith wasn't determined on the outcome that they were going to get. They didn't care about the outcome. They just believed God. You and I need to trust God regardless of what the outcome is and stop making deals with God and just say, I believe God. Here's the thing. Struggling with faith is okay as long as we come back to the Word of God as our source of truth. If, I don't know whether it was implicit or explicit for me as a kid when I grew up in church. I grew up in church my whole life, uh, man, three times a week in church from the time I was born to the time I, I left for, for boot camp in the Navy. I don't know whether it was implicitly implied or explicitly stated that you don't question the Bible. You, you just believe it, you keep your mouth shut, and if you doubt, that's a lack of faith on your part. It's just highly, highly disappointing. And so the idea was basically, if you have questions, just keep your mouth shut and just say that you agree. Let me just say that the Bible is set up for you to ask questions, believe it or not. And the type of environment where questions are frowned upon or doubt is discouraged is not an environment where your faith can flourish and you can own it. We encourage our teenagers that meet at our teen Bible study on Wednesday nights to question what they believe and why they believe it. If you just believe something because your parents told you, you're going to forget that when you turn 18, you move out on your own and do your own thing. You need to have some conviction for yourself. At some point, you're going to have to believe what you believe because you believe it, not because somebody told you to believe it. And for you as a Bible-believing Christian, I'm going to tell you, if you believe something, somebody says, well, why do you believe that? And they say, you say, well, my pastor told me. That's the weakest answer I've ever heard in my life. Come up with something better. Don't put it on me. Own your faith. And so we see Abraham here where he went through periods where he struggled with his faith, you know? He wasn't always this mighty man of God. There were times where he, you know, went and was scared and told lies to people, Uh, There were times where he didn't do what he was supposed to do. There were times where he tried to get around God's plan by doing his own thing. And, again, it's okay to question your faith and have doubts as long as you're willing to come back to the Bible as being authoritative and having the final answer. For me, I, again, grew up in church my whole life, and probably at about 19 or 20 I began to question a lot of things that I was taught because I saw people who didn't believe the Bible, but they were really good people. Now, I was always taught that these were heathen, awful, terrible, wicked, you know, Satan-worshipping, gonna-split-hell-wide-open people, but they're actually really nice. Does God send nice people to hell? I couldn't fathom that. I see people who believe a false religion, but they're really good people. Like, how do I rationalize this? And I began to have a lot of questions, and I began to question my faith. And let me tell you, it was one of the healthiest experiences of my life because I had to dig in to find truth. It wasn't spoon-fed to me. Nobody handed me a list of things to believe. I had to find it for myself. And man, I I spent time reading the Koran. I spent time reading the Book of Mormon. I spent time studying the teachings of Buddha. Uh, I I spent, you know, okay, I kind of narrowed my scope down to I believe that there is a God. And so then everything that calls itself Christianity, all the different things that are in there, I had to begin to weed things out based on the convictions that I had. And I had to believe, okay, if there is a God, he had to speak to us somehow, and I'll say that's through the Bible. And so I believe in God, and I believe the Bible. Let me just tell you this, from there, if you're just willing to stay in that lane, it's going to take you to the finish line, guaranteed. Has to. And so when people come, they say, oh, I'm just, I'm looking for truth, and I've been studying the Bible. Keep looking. You will find what your heart craves. Guaranteed. And so again, I'm narrowing the funnel to the fact where, okay, I believe in God. I believe in the Bible. And because I believe in the Bible, I must believe in Jesus Christ. And because I believe, that's what he says in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man come. I have been saved. I have been born again. And I believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. So I am a Bible-believing Christian because I found it for myself. And you cannot take that away from me. If my parents renounce their faith, the church that I grew up in turned uh, liberal or, or began to, you know, disassociate themselves from the Bible, I don't care. It's not based on the church that I grew up in or what my parents told me. I believe the Bible to be true because God's word says it is. That's where I'm at. And you can't take that away from me. But there was a period at 19 or 20 where it was really kind of shaky for all while I was struggling with my faith. And struggle, I love the word struggle because it indicates that there's still a battle waging and a fight ensuing. Struggling with your faith or struggling with doubt or struggling for truth is good because a struggle indicates a fight. Again, you watch these crime shows, you know, it's like uh, they broke in and there's signs of foul play, but there was no struggle. Nobody put up a fight. Oh, there's signs of a struggle in this area over here. I mean, somebody was fighting tooth and nail. I love the idea of struggling with your faith because it means you're trying to get to the bottom of truth. And here's what the Bible says. God says, you'll find me when you seek me with all of your heart. You're looking for truth. You'll find Jesus. I guarantee you that. And so here's the great part about the Bible. It's okay to have sex before marriage and what it's supposed to represent. Let's look at what it means to steal the joy of your future marriage for a little bit of fun right here. When you have sex before marriage, you're actually ruining your future marriage's joy. You're stealing from something that you haven't even gotten yet. It's like I got you dinner at Ruth's Crisp with like a, a, a big, thick tomahawk steak, right? And for you vegans, I'm really sorry for you, but a big, thick tomahawk steak with all the sides. We got sides, and you decided to go through the Taco Bell and get like six chalupas and you're not hungry anymore. It's just like, no, no, no. You ruined what God had for you because you sold yourself out for something that wasn't good after all. That's why you can't do that. Oh, okay. As opposed to like, sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is dirty. You're filthy, you're awful. That's garbage. Teach people the Bible. Here's the thing about the Bible. The Bible is durable and it can handle all of your questions, all of your doubts, all of your concerns. It can hold up to scrutiny. It has for 2,000 years. People have been looking for inconsistencies in places where the Bible contradicts itself and places where the Bible has become corrupt and they can't find it because it's not there because it is the supernatural word of God. It's so good. I love it when I'm talking with people who have like watched a couple of YouTube videos and they consider themselves a the. I consider myself a theologian as well. Oh, good. Well, you can't really believe the Bible because there's so many contradictions in it. Oh, which ones? Like all of them. Name three. Well, uh, I'd have to check my notes on that. Yeah, that's what I thought. Well, the Bible's just gotten so corrupt. Which parts of it are corrupt? Which ones would you say that you struggle with as being as the corrupt parts of Scripture? Well, I mean, it's just been handed down over so many years. How many years? Where, where, where do we have the original autographs of the Bible? Where are those kept? Well, I think those are kept in uh, uh, Rome. Not wrong. Autographs are gone. What do you know about manuscripts? What do you mean by manuscripts? Exactly. You, you're talking about things that you don't know anything about because you watch some YouTube video that, like, Five Ways of Christianity is Fake. You know, don't forget to like and subscribe. No, the Bible can handle all of your questions. It has answers, but here's the answer that some people won't like. Some of that's just going to require a little bit of faith on your part. You're just going to have to trust God on this one. Well, did, burning question in my heart, did did Adam have a belly button? Like, I mean, he te- technically wasn't connected with an umbilical cord, so I mean, like, you know what happened with that? Um, I'm not really sure that's a theological question or not, you know? And, well, I, I really believe that he did. That's the thing that I have. Okay. We just have to trust God that we didn't need to know that. That's a faith thing, okay? And again, you know, like, like explain to me what happens in each year of the seven years of tribulation. I'm sorry, the Bible doesn't talk to that. I know, but I really want to know. Okay, you just have to trust God on that one, you know? So, again, there's certain places where you're just going to say, you just got to have, here's the word, faith. That's what it is. Again, this whole chapter is about faith. I'm going to re- rephrase that. All 66 books of God's word are about faith. It comes down to faith. And so Hebrews eleven six 6 goes so far as to say this. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Not improbable or unlikely. You cannot please God without faith. You cannot be saved without faith. You cannot be a Christian who honors God with your life without faith. And so faith is that critical part uh, of all of this. Next we see that Abraham's faith wasn't limited to his own personal weaknesses. Take a look at verse number 19. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. When Abraham says, okay, God, I trust you, the Bible says he didn't take into consideration the fact that he was a hundred years old. He didn't factor into the fact that he and Sarah had tried to have kids for almost a hundred years and had never had kids. He just chose to believe God. Now, again, it doesn't mean that he didn't give it a thought because it did. If you read through the story of it, it, mattered, it didn't factor into whether or not he trusted God or not. So, again, that goes back to that struggle. He's just like, uh, how are we going to have a kid seem like really, like this old? Like, I don't really understand it. It doesn't mean I don't trust you. I just can't comprehend how that happens. That's where faith comes in. And so, again, you see that struggle of like, uh, I don't really know how this can like, physically happen but at the same time god i trust you through this because abraham and sarah having a child wasn't unlikely it was physically impossible so we're not talking about like oh, okay we could possibly make this work you know oh this is still a two possession game we might you know be able to hit a couple threes no no, no. like she's like 100 years old her womb is literally dead inside not going to happen, but it says that he didn't think about that. So many times you and I be, get, begin to say like, well, I can't trust God with faith like you have because I didn't grow up in a Christian home. No, you're, you're thinking about your own weakness. My, my favorite of these is like, well, pastor, I can't have faith like you have because I didn't grow up the way you did. You don't know how I grew up. You don't know nothing about me when you make statements like that because you can't compare your faith to somebody else's based on your own limitations that you have. You compare your faith to Christ, who has perfect obedience to God. That's what we, again, so we get run into trouble when we compare our faith versus somebody else's faith, or I'm not like you, or I'm not like you. All of us are here today. Every single person in this room, unless you don't really know what's going on here, and I'll clue you in really quickly. Every single one of us is here because we realize we don't have it together. It's not like... Oh, we figured out the meaning of life. Let us show you the way. I'll be your personal guru. I'll lead you into ways that you've never thought of being productive. No, I, I, I'm as lost as a June Easter egg without Jesus Christ. Like, I, I got nothing to offer. Like, like, without Jesus, I am destroyed. I am of no use whatsoever to anybody or anything apart from Christ. And I'm here today because I need more of Jesus in my life. And so when we talk about our own physical limitations, that doesn't factor into faith. At the end of the day, Abraham fully trusted God, verse number 21, and he being fully persuaded, fully persuaded that what God had promised, he had promised, he was also able to perform. You see, a heart full of faith brings overwhelming peace. I love what 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 12 says, for the which cause I also suffer these things nevertheless I'm not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day hey I know who I believed in and I know that he's capable of seeing me through this and so because of that I don't worry if you're looking for peace in your life faith is the answer because anxiety says, what if this, what if that, oh, oh, what if this, oh, I didn't think about that, oh, man. Faith just says, ah, I don't know about all that, but I just trust God through this. Nah, I don't really know what's going to happen, I just believe God's good to his word. <laughs> I remember, no lie, the um, March of 2020 when we got word that we needed to shut down for two weeks to flatten the curve. Uh, no services for two weeks so we can flatten the curve, and two weeks we'll all come back. Um, and, and I remember thinking, this is, weeks turned into like 12 weeks. And I remember at some point being incredibly weak in faith and doubting and thinking to myself, like, if we shut down for 12 weeks, we might not have a church to come back to. Like, how scary is that? And no lie, it took me about 30 seconds to repent and, and apologize to God because this isn't my church, it's his. And whatever he wants to do, he's going to do. And if our church would disintegrate because of 12 weeks of not meeting together, it wasn't really founded on Jesus to begin with. And that gave me a lot of, get this, peace. I don't have to sweat this. You know what I need to do? I need to continue to pray, read my Bible, love people, check on folks, see how they're doing, encourage other people, have a positive, encouraging word through this, and just at the end of the day, just trust God. Whatever happens is whatever happens. And man, wouldn't you know it, like, like during COVID, our, our church didn't, didn't decline like the majority of churches in America. Our church actually grew by like 50%. Like, how did that happen? Oh, yeah, it went back to faith. Oh, a pastor's such a guy. of faith. No, 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 not me. Our church family had faith in God, and God saw us through it. And so, again, when we begin to look at what we can do, man, we'll be greatly discouraged when we look at what God can do. It should bring a sense of overwhelming peace. A heart full of faith is fully submitted to the sovereignty of God. When we say the sovereignty of God, we mean this, that God already has a plan from, from before he created the world, eternity past, until after all this crashes and burns and he creates a new and eternity future, God has an overarching plan that's already settled, and you and I are just like a little blip on the radar of that big, huge plan that God has, and what God wants is going to happen the way that God wants it to, and the great part about it is, is that you can trust Him. Faith. Hey, I don't really know what's going to happen, but I know that God does, and I trust Him a whole lot. I don't really know how this situation is going to work out, but I trust the Lord, and I know that He's in charge of it, and so that just gives me an overwhelming sense of peace. So whether you just got laid off or you just got a cancer diagnosis or you just got promoted at your job or you just found out that you got your kids got accepted to a school, hey, man, praise God for it. I just, I'm just going to trust in God's sovereignty through this. I know he's good and I know he's going to take care of me. That's the kind of faith that God wants. The problem with faith many times is you and I have great faith when everything's going well. Oh, money's in the bank, we got 10 grand in savings, you know, we got no debt, we got our bills paid, man, God's good, we got like lots of faith, you know, and then when things go sideways, it's just like, oh, what am I going to do, you know, I'm in so much trouble, I think maybe we should pray, and then it's just like, no, 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 you should have been praying when you have money in the bank, you know like like faith in God isn't like your your spare tire in the the back your your car like I I think I got a spare tire I hope I do. I don't know if it's inflated or not but I'll pull it out if I ever need it. No no, no. God's like, no no, I'm not your spare tire. I'm like the whole car, you know? That's what God wants to be. And so when we talk about faith, I love this. Again, you, you read the story here in Romans. You read Hebrews chapter 11, where God, where God talks about the hall of faith, these great Christians throughout all the Bible that had this monumental faith. You read through this, and you're like, wait a minute. I remember the story of Abraham. There's one key detail that's missing in all of this, right? Like this Abraham, this guy who staggered not at the promise of God. Like, did we forget about Hagar, and so for those of you who don't know, I'm getting ready to read you on a really good story. Get this. Abraham says, okay, I believe God's going to make a great nation out of me. And so they wait, and they wait. And, and Sarah's not getting pregnant, and they're not having any kids, and they're trying to figure out what's going on. It's taking too long. It's just like, well, maybe God needs our help. Maybe, Abraham, you should take my handmaid, Hagar, and have sex with her and have a child from her. And then, that'll be your seed. That'll be the great nation that God will create out of you. Let me just pause here for just a second and say, if you ever need to sin to follow God's will, that's not God's will. Just out the gate. No lie, I've heard people say that before. Well, I know he's not saved, but I think it's God's will that we get married. It's not. Guaranteed. Uh, So. Again, I think I'm going to pray about it. You don't have to pray about it. God's already said it. You, don't, you just have to pray whether or not you're going to be obedient or disobedient, I guess. Uh, but Hagar, so Abraham goes, has sex with Hagar, has a child named Ishmael. And Ishmael basically creates his own nation from there, which basically becomes the Arab nations that we know today, many of which become Muslim and are basically the the enemies of Judaism and Jews. And so all the racial tension that's taking place in the Middle East, no lie, you can trace that back to Abraham's lack of faith like, are we like whitewashing this whole story like a revisionist history that he's like this superhero of faith and he's got like a a, a baby's mama and a baby? Like, come on now. What's going on here? This isn't truthful. This isn't honest. We said staggered not at the promise. Did he forget Hagar? What's that? You got to hear this. This is great. God forgets sin, but he remembers faith. You got to get this because this is important. When Abraham repented of his sin with God, God says, all right, you're good. We're good here. When Abraham believed God and he counted unto him for righteousness, get this. You can't miss this. Abraham was justified. What happened when he was justified? Christ's righteousness was applied to his account, and his sin was washed away by the blood of Christ, and he was declared righteous. And if Abraham is declared righteous, you gotta hear me on this, okay? If Abraham was declared righteous, to throw it in his face again to tarnish his name because it's a member about Abraham because he's forgotten his sin, he remembers his faith. And you and I, so many times, think to ourselves like, "Oh, I'm so ashamed of my past. I'm so ashamed of what I've done. I'm so embarrassed." You know, God's forgot that. God wants to remember your faith. And that what that looks like now is like, man, there's some things in my past that I wish I hadn't done, but I'm thankful for the blood of Christ that set me free from that garbage. So I get to live forward for the rest of my life under the grace of God. That's what that looks like. And so God forgives sin, God forgets sin and remembers faith. Next, two final thoughts and we're done here. First of all, the church needs Christians who are not bound by our own limitations and weak expectations, but are unshackled by radical faith that God can still do anything. Like if I asked you, do you have faith today? I think you'd say, yeah, i, I got faith. No, like, do you really have faith? You know, like real faith, like legit. What does that mean? Uh, there's been prayer meetings that I was embarrassed to be a part of before, like Embarrassed not because I don't like to pray and I love to pray and I don't care who I pray with, I'll pray with anybody. But I was embarrassed because of the types of things that we're praying for. Could y'all pray for Aunt Gertrude's cat? She's got these hairballs. She took it to the vet like three times and they keep coming up every week. And so, oh, it's like cat before the thing. God doesn't like cats. And so, sorry, Carrie, I'm so sorry. Uh, but like, no, 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 I didn't come to a prayer meeting to pray for cats, give me something to pray about, I've got this hangnail, it's been causing me a lot of problems, I cut it three times, it's still, I I had to take some Tylenol yesterday for you, if y'all folks would pray for that, I'm not praying for your hangnail, okay, I'm here to pray for my neighbor that doesn't know Jesus, I'm trying to pray for that family across the street whose marriage is about to split up, I'm trying to get Jesus in there before it all falls apart. I'm praying for my city that is completely given over to drugs and alcohol and filth and garbage and and sin and crime. And I want to see my city come to Christ. I want to see revival in my city, which requires that I see revival in my community, which requires that I see revival in my church, which requires that I see revival in my family, which requires that revival needs to start with me. I'm praying for that. I'm not praying for cats today, okay? Because I want to live by faith. God wants us to pray big prayers. <laughs> like like it hasn't rained for 7 years. I'm going to pray that it rains today. You know, that's the type of prayer that God blesses. I want to pray that God would use my life far beyond my own capacity. Not that like it wouldn't rain this weekend so I could go play golf. Like come on. Pray prayers of faith. Abraham believed God and he picked up everything he had and followed God to the ends of the earth because he believed God. God wants Christians to live by faith. Uh, Look, I'm not trying to, to, to get, gain any type of notoriety or a pat on the back for this, but look, this church exists here today because our family was living at the end of a cul-de-sac in Southern California in a 3,200-square-foot house with a three-car garage with a basketball goal in the backyard, and I realized one day, no lie, I woke up and I told my wife, I said, I don't think we're living by faith anymore. Like, we're super-duper comfortable. And she was like, is that a bad thing? It's a bad thing that we're living by faith. It's not a bad thing to be comfortable It's a bad thing to not live by faith. And so that's when God began to do something in our heart to make us really uncomfortable to do something that mattered. And so I'm not saying you've got to sell your house or pick a vow of poverty. I'm asking you to do something with your life that's going to count for eternity. It, as a 24-year-old man, the thought gripped me of standing before God one day and being embarrassed about the way that I live my life because I live my life for myself. And from that point on, I made a decision, God, I just want to live my life for you. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like. But if you could use a a messed up life like mine to give you glory, it's yours for the taking. And I've just tried to live by faith ever since. It hasn't been perfect. And again, if you may say, oh, what a great life of faith. I would just say, praise God. He's like super faithful. And I would go so far as to say this, because God is so faithful, it's really easy to trust him by faith. It's it's a funny thing, faith is kind of like this snowball thing. Like, I believe God, God comes through. Ooh, I believe God for bigger things, God comes through. It's like, ah, I see how this works, I'm going to go bigger the next time, and God comes through. And you get like this faith snowball that goes, you're just like, whoa, that's incredible. That's the type of faith that God expects from you and I. Final thought. You're never going to see God's blessings that God wants to accomplish or see the things that God wants to accomplish in your life if you continue va- to vacillate between faith and doubt. God always honors faith. Always. You can't be full of faith on Sunday and then down in the dumps on Monday. You can't be all hot after your small group on Wednesday night and then be like, be like well, I don't really know if I trust God or not on Thursday. Y- you need to keep it moving up and to the right, trending, trending up. Your faith should continue to grow Faith is a muscle. The more you exercise it, the stronger that it gets. The more you feed it, the stronger that it gets. Well, how do I feed my faith? I'm glad you asked. The book of Romans says faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Hearing the Bible preached, discussing the Bible and studying the Bible with a small group, reading your Bible in personal worship everything every day, your faith is going to continue to grow because God loves faith. He always blessed his faith too. Most important thing in the entire universe, if you're here today and there's never been a time where you put your faith in Jesus to save you, you got to do that today. That's the jumping off point. You can't begin to do anything we've talked about today unless you first make your sin right with God. The only way you can do that is through Jesus. You say, well, you don't know what I've done. Out of Jesus is enough to cover it. And he's willing to forgive you. I come broken to be mended. I'm coming to Jesus because I don't have it all together. For me, I came to Jesus when I was nine years old. I'm still with Jesus today because I still don't have it all together. But I love what this song that we heard the lady sing. Whatever's broken, he can repair it. Man, what a God. So if you're here today and you've never been saved, today's your day. If you're here and you've been saved, I'm going to ask you something this week. I'm going to ask you to crank it up one notch to the right on your faith knob. Just one notch. I'm not asking you to crank it up to eleven today. I'm just asking you to just take one notch up. What does it mean for you to live by faith? What does it mean for you to just step out a little bit further? Maybe it's some of you need to be baptized. Maybe some of you need to be committed in your Bible reading. Some of you need to pray more. Some of you need to have a time of family worship together. Some of you need to be committed to, to God's house and church, church attendance. Some of you need to join a church and be a member of a church. Some of you maybe you need to get, begin to give giving, whether it's your tithing, or missions giving, or something like that. I don't know, but I know all of us can increase our faith. And I'm asking God. I ask God every single day to strengthen my faith and to help me to have more, and I want the same thing for you as well